Welcome to the Riding Unicorns podcast. This is the podcast all about growth startups. I'm James Pringle. I'm a technology founder, investor, and VC at Portfolio Ventures. My co-host is Hector Mason. Hector is a partner at B2B Investor Episode 1 Ventures. This podcast is all about uncovering what it takes to build a unicorn business. We speak to some of the best founders and investors, many from unicorn companies, and ask them about their journey, operational insight, tips, lessons, stories, and anything that can help uncover what it takes to build a high-growth business. This week's episode is with Mayoa Ogunremi, Investment Principal at Form Ventures. Form Ventures is an early-stage VC fund investing in founders taking on regulated markets. In this episode, we cover Mayoa's route into venture, her experience as a therapist turned VC, the founder appetite to build a huge business, and much more. Let's get started. Hi, Mayoa. Thank you so much for joining the Riding Unicorns podcast. It's great to have you on. Everyone has a slightly different route into venture capital. Maybe we could start with getting your journey into VC. Sure. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. This is my first podcast, so it's pretty exciting. I can definitely start with my story. As you'd mentioned, a bit different, a bit long-winded, so you have to promise to interrupt me when it gets boring. So I started in psychology. That was my academic training. I thought I was going to be a therapist and... That's mostly to do with the fact that both my parents are medics and I the only kind of career spaces I knew of were medicine, law and engineering. I then went to university and lived in a house of 10 people and every single one of them had a kind of midterm mental breakdown and came to me for emotional support. And I realized I was probably not going to be a therapist. If that was my role in my social circles, I probably shouldn't also do it as a job. So then left looking for a new career could have told you I was interested in business but not much more than that I was definitely not the kid who's buying sweets wholesale and selling them to their friends in the playground age five I was really pretty ignorant and naive about what roles even existed in business and managed to find my way to consulting which was really amazing, really helped me get an overview of large organizations, but different types of companies and in really varying sectors, which was good at times and bad at other times if you were working for like a tobacco client that wanted you to help them figure out how to sell more cigarettes in certain regions to certain types of people. And I found that I was kind of drawn to the idea of impact in my job. And I felt that maybe the job I wanted to do hadn't come across yet or maybe didn't even exist yet. And at that point, I was contacted by a recruiter who offered me a role in climate finance communications, which was completely new to me. At that point, I was kind of very people oriented in my thinking. I think my mindset on climate was why focus on trees when there are people who don't have clean drinking water and with just a small amount of research into the climate crisis you understand the impact it has on the most vulnerable populations and that's kind of what drew me into climate and that role and I found the climate finance side really interesting was less talented and interested in the communication side so left that role to do a master's at imperial business school in climate change management and finance and through that had modules in clean tech innovation clean tech investment learned more about how early stage companies are funded and the venture model and was really like mind blown at just the idea of early stage venture as a career especially as a career for a young person 
it sounded like the kind of thing you would do, one would do, I would like to do at the point that you've retired and you've kind of earned the right to just sit back and choose other people to do the work. So I came out of the Masters September 2021 looking for a role in venture, had absolutely no idea how to get one, felt that I probably needed to give myself a time frame within which to get one because it felt like it could be a never-ending pursuit. And so I gave myself three months, I took a contract at a big tech company working as a sustainability consultant and managed to get an interview with one fund who had filled the position already but who recommended me to form ventures which was amazing to get the introduction because I might not have applied because as as we're going to discuss form ventures has a very specific focus on regulation and public policy which wasn't my background or heritage at all so I might have ruled myself out so that's my career background and route to venture it's great to hear how I think nowadays people can get in through really any route there's no set path you don't have to have been a banker or a consultant and in fact I think the slightly more varied and creative routes are actually favored now particularly at early stage so yeah great to hear your story so form ventures what's it all about it's a new fund, you're making waves, but we want to hear in your own words what it's all about. Yeah, Form Ventures making waves. We are a 30 million pre-seed and seed fund based in London, and we, we invest in the future of regulated markets. And we define that as founders disrupting existing regulated markets, whether that's fintech, whether that's health, or founders building in markets that will be subject to reg- regulation. So crypto fits in really obviously their novel foods and cultivated meat climate more broadly online safety the future of work fit under that and the reason we have this focus is well twofold one the partners had the belief that Europe and the UK specifically where we invest have an advantage in in these regulated markets. The US is very good at maybe social plays or dating apps, you know, maybe slightly more consumer focused. Whereas in the UK, both the tech ecosystem and the government and the regulatory ecosystem are maybe slightly more compatible and, and likely to communicate with one another and see each other as natural allies to some extent. So that's the first reason. The second reason is to do with the background of the partners. So Patrick and Leo, the partners of the fund between them, had their early careers in corporate lobbying in UK government itself. Leo was a SPAD for the business secretary during the coalition government and also regulatory strategy advisory and an inventure. So the two of them came together with the idea of how a lean new fund in the UK could get access to the handful of companies in the UK that become unicorns, you know, with no brand behind them, both first-time fund managers. And the idea was that they could use their experience and expertise, which is extremely relevant to all companies Leo's work, for example, in at Global Council during regulatory strategy advisory was mostly for larger companies. I think Ubers, Airbnbs, the portfolio companies of big venture funds who had operated for a long time trying to keep out of sight of the regulator and then have these massive infraction points. And the idea was sort of if this is so relevant to these large tech companies, 
how much more relevant could it be to the early stage founders who can't afford or don't have VC funds backing them who can afford to pay large regulatory advisory firms to help them navigate that. So a sense of a gap in the market, a sense of an opportunity in terms of being able to add real and specific niche targeted value to founders, but also as an investment strategy, not only to do with this idea of Europe and the UK being good at sectors, but also to do with the fundamentals of how we invest. So we invest between 200k and a million in rounds of up to 5 million. And we therefore don't tend to lead investment rounds. We don't tend to take board seats. We tend to be the second or third biggest check in the round. And in that sense, we're kind of optimized for allocation, optimizing for getting access to the best deals, being invited onto the cap tables, either by the founders or by other investors, because of the way we can improve the odds of the company succeeding in a way that no one else is really focusing on. Super interesting. And it's, it's a novel approach. When told about it kind of in the abstract, like it sounds like a really useful thing. I wonder like, what are the tangible things that you actually help with? Because I think lobbying itself, there's no defined outcome. You sort of hope that you might have an influence. I'm just keen to understand what real impact have you made on the businesses that you've invested in? It is extremely tailored and targeted to the companies we work with and for. So practically speaking, as a company enters the portfolio, we have a session that spans across a morning or an afternoon where we map out all of the different ways in which policy and regulation could affect all of the different stages of a company's value chain. So it may be relevant to your product. Your product may have to comply with certain jurisdictions and legislations. It may be relevant to your go-to-market strategy and navigating different regulatory regimes in different countries. It may be to do with leveraging a shift in the regulatory ecosystem in your sales and in how you pitch your company. Or it could be to do with how you fundraise and how you communicate, how you are navigating regulatory risk to your investors. Some examples... At the moment, we're working with a portfolio company in the credit information space that will be providing credit data to the large CRAs. And that's specifically to do with real-time data for BNPL loans. And at the same time, as this founder has spotted this gap in the market of how BNPL loans are assessed in terms of risk and the, and the lack of high-quality data in that space, the FCA is also trying to solve this problem of how are we protecting our citizens from taking on debt that they can't afford. We've put our portfolio company in the room with the FCA. We're helping them respond to this study and ideally move regulation in such a way that will benefit not only our portfolio company, but fundamentally benefit consumers, financial consumers in this case. So as you said, lobbying, especially in a UK context, isn't quite as necessarily a direct path to any type of change in the way that maybe in the US you, you have a sense you could just drop X amount of money on a campaign and completely move mountains. In the UK, it's a much more collaborative, kind of softer approach that ultimately should benefit but both sides of the party because we're investing in companies who want to disrupt for the better and and the government is also simultaneously trying to trying to 
optimize outcomes for its citizens. You've been in the role for a bit of time now. What's the one thing you've really learned and what, what do you look for in companies now that maybe you didn't on day one? Mm. We're a pre-seed and seed investor, so there's a lot of, maybe even more than I'd realized, a lot of emphasis on the team. And the thing within that that's been, again, maybe I, did, I hadn't really thought about it before I joined VC was one, the scale of outcome that we're investing for. We're unicorn hunting as our majority of funds in the UK and in the industry in general. And kind of coming to a realization of what a massive outcome that is. I didn't really have an appreciation for that because you either see companies that are unicorns or that aren't, and you don't really think about how many companies are trying to reach that status and that scale and and how many are failing for lots of really complex reasons. And as team-focused investors in, in the sense that we're early stage, assessing a founder's both ambition and appetite, really appetite for reaching those outcomes is, I spend so much of my time doing that and I really enjoy that, but I hadn't necessarily realized how much of our assessment and analysis of an early stage company would be focused on that specific. I mean, we meet, the most amazing, credible, articulate, interesting and interested, committed founders who would be really happy to sell their company for 200 million in four years time. I can't even fathom doing something like that. And it's such an extreme success. And yet in venture terms, that would be a lower quality outcome for us. And a lot of my time now is spent understanding what do we think it is in a person that makes them able to have a real appetite, you know, ambition. I say ambition, but ambition is something that you state. You can, any, any person can tell you anything, but really that a sense of someone's appetite, a sense that someone really like needs this and, and craves that specific extreme commercial outcome is, what I spend a lot of time doing and what I maybe have been surprised by and in the sense that it's not something that I'd really thought about in enough detail before I joined Venture. So gauging ambition, it's something we talk about a lot. It's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. How do you do it? Sometimes the you can be speaking to a founder and they say, I want to build a billion pound business and I'll stop at nothing. And you can sense the energy coming out of them and you can believe it. But you also get people who can just say it. So what are the signals that VCs are looking for in founders that give them confidence in the founder's ambition? If I try and distill it, the way a founder speaks about the opportunity, the way a founder speaks about their life, the way a founder speaks about the company gives a lot of signals. Founders who will consider lots of different routes for example and walk you through these are all the different exit strategies maybe this these are the different ways I've thought about the business and its progression and I've come to the decision maybe that I'm going to target this one is perhaps perhaps less compelling than a founder that is is and always has been like unwaveringly convicted and committed to achieve this outcome. What signals are we picking up on? There's likely a level of obsessiveness. Obsessiveness sounds like a negative trait or 
like something, maybe even like a flaw. And it's not to say that you're obsessive to a fault. And it's not to say that that's your predominant personality trait, but there is something about a founder's level of obsessive commitment to the space that maybe can trigger one to think that they would be capable of achieving that outcome. And maybe thirdly, something to do with a founder's commercial acumen is the phrase I would use. There are founders who are very academically or intellectually obsessed with the space, or you get a sense that they could think about this problem forever and want to optimize the solution. But we've seen products that aren't as good competitors win because the founder is obsessed in a very commercial way. They're obsessed with not necessarily just solving the problem, but also obsessed with generating that level of revenue. And for whatever reason, whether that's to do with their own sense of financial ambition and what what the type of person they see themselves as being, whether it's like a very competitive drive of you just want to beat all of your competitors, there's something that has to be commercial and it sounds awful, but kind of revenue focused about your ambition that I think is something else you're looking for in a founder. I mean, obsessive is, is, is interesting in itself. I totally agree. I mean, James, how much do you speak to founders about, you know, what it is that they've done in their life? What's given them the chip on their shoulder? Why are they so driven? Do you sort of ask them about this sort of thing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it definitely is important in the initial discovery phase of speaking to founders. As we go deeper into the DD, obviously, it's much more about fundamentals and market and unit economics. But at the beginning, you've got to believe that this idea that is exciting, the founder has the potential to execute on it and that they're going to give everything to, to do that. That's one of the best things about being a VC is that you're leveraging that energy and knowledge and ambition. So yeah, it's definitely important. I think it is hard to really justify and your bullshit detector gets quite good, I think, as VCs when you see a couple that say it but don't do it. But yeah, it's definitely important and it's a founder's job to try and authentically get that across. And you also mentioned that you did an MBA um, and, <laughs> think, you know, there's sort of various schools of thought about the value of them nowadays. What was your experience? Do you think you would have landed your job without it? Would you do it again? Mm. What was your experience from doing an MBA? Yeah, again, I've come back to my parents who are Nigerian immigrants. So doing some kind of higher education was pretty non-negotiable in me and my, for me and my life. But it took me a while. I kind of came out of my undergrad thinking I would do something and and wasn't really sure what to do. It took me a while. And the only reason I ended up doing a master's in business, which is what this was, was because of the course that I found. It's Imperial Business School's climate finance course. And it was just perfect for me wanting to dabble more in the finance and business sides of the work I'd been doing. And the course that I did was essentially a complete overview of business finance and economics through the perspective of the climate crisis. And that to me is arguably the only way anyone should learn about business and economics and finance. And it was an amazing experience. I didn't go into it for the network at all. I went into it for the knowledge base and also for the credibility, as you'd mentioned. I felt I did need some kind of formal credential in 
finance or business to be able to get into the types of roles that I thought I wanted. I came out of it mostly with this network of people who are so now so influential and and high up in various roles. It's obviously a huge, a huge financial expense. But for me, I had a great experience with with the masters I did. And this is switching tack a little bit. But if you could wave a magic wand and see more companies of a certain sector or type what do you want to see more of like where are we lacking in your own sort of pipeline of of interesting companies and maybe listening (laughs) yeah exactly hello founders well my instinctive answer because i find them the most interesting is health i find health tech in the uk really 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 interesting one of the first deals that we did that i found was kind of public health play on hinge health so hinge health in the us which is focused on digital delivery of physiotherapy for MSK. And the founders of this startup came out of CMR Surgical and they essentially are developing technological innovations to be able to deliver physiotherapy in a way that's as engaging and has as high accountability and adoptability as one-on-one private therapy, but through a public sector means. And it's completely a technological innovation that's allowing them to deliver that. But I find that really, really exciting, like public service reform type work in health is probably one of the sectors I find the most exciting, whether it's like primary healthcare or social care or anything like this. These are the spaces that I find the most exciting. So we could speak for hours, Maya, but we need to get towards the dinner party guest game, which um, hopefully you know all about. And we like to ask our guests to pick three people, they can be dead or alive, um, who you would invite to a dinner party. Cool. Yeah, I spent a while thinking about it and then felt like I had to stop thinking about it because it's a pretty debilitating question. There's lots of people to choose from, but more importantly, felt like it was going to be revealing a lot about myself. So I thought I'd just see what inspiration struck. Maybe it's a cheat, but if I could say I would love to meet my parents at my age, if I could combine them into one person, if I had to choose one of them, then I can say my mum, my dad and I are a lot more similar, so it's easier for me to infer what he was like at my age. My mum's, I would love to meet my mum at my age, because at my age, I think she probably almost already had me, or maybe close to so love to know what was going on in her mind a person that struck me at 4 30 this morning was tony blair which is a change in tack a little bit but i'm really as we discussed in terms of an analysis of people i think tony blair is i would i would love to study tony blair's charisma i feel like he was a really charismatic person and uh i would love I think I could have a good time with Tony Blair at a dinner party. I just read his, I just read most of his autobiography. I did get a bit bored, I have to say, towards the end. I, <laughs> I, um, I think he's interesting and yeah, very charismatic and had a lot of good points. Yeah, exactly. I think he'd be a good time. And the third person, I don't know if you, do you guys know Z-Way? No. You should look her up. Z-Way I don't know that much about Z-Way, but Z-Way is a black female American comedian 
and she kind of rose. I think she rose to fame in in the pandemic doing live Twitter or Instagram interviews with celebrities and asking them really awkward questions, which I love. That's kind of my thing too. And she has like made an entire career off doing it, and she's she would be very inspirational to have have a dinner party with. So, me, Tony Blair, my mum, and Zwei. That's um that's going to be a great group. That's going to be a great group. You should be our you should be our third podcast host, and you, your designated role can be just to ask really awkward questions. <laughs> and so that's basically my job. So I'm very in. <laughs> no, Maya, it was an absolute pleasure having you on, and. Lots of great insight there. I think digging into the founder psyche and exploring that a little bit and, and, and lifting the lid on what VCs are looking for in very early stage founders, I think will be useful for lots of our listeners and interesting to, to many others. So thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. So cool. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It was really fun. That's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We also have a newsletter called Reading Unicorns, which is another great way to get every episode direct to your inbox. Please tell your friends about it and engage with us on social media. And we'll see you on the next episode.